0: Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectators' Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by Katie Bulls and James Forsythe. Bring your own booze, wrote Martin Reynolds, the Prime Minister's principal private secretary, signing off an email to more than 100 Downing Street staff in May 2020, inviting them to drinks in the Number 10 Garden. Katie, ITV's report of the new party emerged yesterday evening. Can you give us the details and the fallout that we've seen since?
1: Yes, I think it's fair to say this is the most serious party allegation yet when it comes to Boris Johnson specifically, Um, because we've had this drip drip of various stories about alleged Downing Street parties, which appear to be in breach of COVID guidelines in place at the time, and in a way it gets a little bit confusing because there are various points somewhere around Christmas you have the cheese and wine party that was the one where there was leaked footage of number 10 staffers joking about cheese and wine party just after Downing Street had denied a cheese and wine party ever existed and Since then, that Sue Gray, who is leading the investigation into this, has had to include more and more events into the scope of the inquiry. So, for example, there was a party at the Department of Education, which the Department of Education quickly came out and just apologised for. They didn't try the number 10 tactic of saying, you know, nothing to see here. There was no party. Everything's in the rules, um, which begins to wear thinner and thinner over time. But among the various events they were looking at, there's the quiz night, There's, uh, you know, allegations that there was something in the Downing Street flat. There's, you know, a leaving party of a staffer. But the new allegation, which first, I think, emerged in a blog by Dominic Cummings last week and since then has been gathering pace, is about a drinks event in May in the Downing Street garden where Martin Reynolds, principal private secretary, emailed around 100 staff ITV have got hold of that email and ultimately, as you as you pointed out, Max suggested that they wanted to take advantage of the lovely weather, you know, bring your own booze, we're having drinks tonight. Those involved or aware of the event so there are long tables with drink and food on them and this is at a time when if you were a mere member of the general public who did not work in Downing Street you were only meant to meet with one person um, from another household outside and stay two metres apart. Now in the email they do say that they are socially distant. Distance drinks but I think the sheer number and we believe 30 to 40 attended it's really tricky for a few reasons for the government I think one the defense that Downing Street has been trying to put when they've been saying there'll be no parties is almost this idea this is all work events everyone's working there and therefore perhaps there is was a gray area where you move from having a drink at your desk but you're still talking about work things this email makes it very clear that this is almost a social event you know everyone's been working very hard we're going to have some fun About an hour before this event started to take place, you had Oliver Dowden speaking at a press conference telling the public almost not to take advantage of the uh, sunny weather, or if they do, to follow the rules of just meeting one person from another household, only for this to happen very soon after. And then I think when you get very close to Boris Johnson, he uh, is alleged to have attended the event with his wife, Carrie Johnson. Now, up until now, Boris Johnson's defence, for example, when he spoke in the House of Commons before Christmas, has been that, you know, he was angry too when he saw footage of Number 10 staffers joking about, you know, a party and was launching an inquiry because he'd been assured there was no such party. Now, said did he mislead the House? I think... To be fair, if you look at specifically what he was saying, he was talking about one event. He wasn't denying there were out of it, any parties, but clearly it's quite slippery ground and it doesn't look good. And now you have a situation where what is Boris Johnson's excuse going to be? Because it's one thing for Boris Johnson to say, oh, I should have kept a closer eye on my staff. This just raises so many questions. In the email, Martin Reynolds says, we have decided... Does that mean that Boris Johnson knew that Martin Reynolds was going to send the email? And to attend the event, when figures such as Dominic Cummings' message saying, you know, is this a good idea? This appears to be against the rules. And for it to proceed and the prime Minister to be there, I think, really does stretch, I think, any idea that this wasn't an, a a social event. And I think we're seeing, um, obviously, Labour going very hard on it, but also just speaking to MPs and ministers. I think there is a real wariness that this story is still going on, um, that it appears to be getting worse, not better, and really getting very hard for even the most loyal supporter in the government to defend.
0: James, Number 10 said last night that it wasn't going to come in because of Sue Gray's investigation. Is that line going to hold?
2: I think it'll be very difficult for that line to hold, because Boris Johnson is in the House for Prime Minister's Questions on Wednesday. And I think it's quite hard for him to stand up six times and say to House of Commons, well, I'm not commenting on this because Sue Gray is investigating. Especially because it, it isn't prejudging Sue Gray's investigation to comment on whether you were there or not there, and so I think that is very difficult for him. I think also, as as, as Katie says, the difficulty for him here is that this isn't about culture, and in inverted commas, in Downing Street. This comes much closer to him, and that, I think, is difficult for him to explain. I think the other problem for him as well is that, you know, Tory MPs are just getting very tired of this. And I think that, you know, I think Downing Street did think at the end of last week that, you know, Lord Guy had concluded on the wallpaper and said, you know, look, he was very critical of the way Boris Johnson and Number 10 and the Cabinet Office had behaved, but he didn't say that he would have, he didn't say that he thought the ministerial code had been broken. The Parliamentary Standards Commissioner was not going to investigate because she thought it referred to, related to the Minister's Register of Interests, Ministerial Register of Interests, not the Commons Register of Interests. And so I think there was going kind to of some hope they might move beyond that. But now, you know, you are back in scandal territory. This Sue Gray inquiry is now looking at, you know, I mean, a, a close to a double digit number of events. And I don't really think that the government can kind of move on in inverted commas, until that has reported. And I also think it is very hard now to see how its conclusions of that inquiry aren't very difficult for the government, to put it mildly.
0: Katie, what are the consequences of this going to be? I mean, Tory MPs of newspapers... Venting their frustrations, and last time this happened, Roger Gale said that it was um, one more strike, and he's out. Are we going to see any real action from Tory MPs, and are the polls really going to make a difference?
1: Well, I think there's a few things going on here. I think that when it comes to letters and this idea of you know confidence vote. There are many who think, you know, Boris Johnson could well face a confidence vote this year, but predicting how many letters it are in is a bit of a fool's game. And I I still think the Sense Monks MPs is Boris Johnson's real judgement will be the local elections in May. And where if it is a dismal performance, that is almost confirmation that something has to change. They have not been able to turn it around. You know, he did win that majority of eighty, but he's not been able to turn around in the months and that will be the point when perhaps you get more movement obviously things can move quicker and I think that as James touches on I think the most immediate thing here is number 10 want to have a bit of a a reset you have seen a situation where yesterday Michael Gove going out and cladding trying to get on the front foot with some Good news announcement sounds wrong when you're talking about cladding because ultimately it's a really tough problem. But trying to show that, you know, the government is doing things, it's, it's, it's trying to work out how to improve people's lives. And I think there was the sense that they can move past what was a really difficult end to the year. But I think the revelation and the confirmation of the email just puts them right back where they were in December and actually in a worse position because the lines of defence are even harder now. And I think Downing Street in terms of the official Downing Street spokesperson line has become a bit of a laughing matter. The fact that the Downing Street official line has been, there are no parties, no rules have been broken. Um, I think it's now really, there is a question of whether Downing Street can steer on things like this. I think that most journalists covering this story are not going to Downing Street for, you know, enlightening information, let's say. And now that Boris Johnson is actually at the party and Downing Street will not deny that, it just means that I think, they are actually in a worse position than, you know, when MPs went home for the holidays and they really thought or hoped that would be their lowest ever and it was all up from there. James, the other
0: big story today is that we could see the isolation period being cut from seven days to five. Could you tell us about this? What will it look like? How, how likely is that looking? I
2: think it is clearly something that ministers are kind of keen to do. I think the Americans have done this, and so there will be you know, continuing pressure to do this. I think the other interesting question is: when does isolation end, kind of almost full stop? I think that, which is, which which is not a conversation I, I, I think we all would have thought we would have been having two months ago. But th- this seems to be where things are moving to eventually, given how Omicron appears to pay out for people who've had three doses, you know, um, of vaccine. So. And I think, I think the other question is, you know, do I think they will be loath to do that now? But I think what is looking increasingly likely is that on Plan B on January 26th, certainly in terms of working from home goes, I suspect that Boris Johnson would like to get rid of as many of the COVID curbs as possible on January 26, because in some ways, if he can say we are we are through COVID, that makes his other political difficulties less acute, and we know how divisive the issue has been for him and his party obviously, on the seven to five days, I suspect we won't see much action on that before January the 26th.
0: Katie, and finally, we could be looking at a VAT cut on energy bills. This is something being forced forward in the Commons by Labour. What would this look like? And is this something that might turn out to be like a sort of fuel duty freeze where it's something that once implemented is going to be hard to take away?
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the risks of it. And I think that... Labour have been proposing this for some time and saying, you know, well, this could be a benefit of Brexit and surely the government wants to do this and it i think it's put the government a bit in a position because during that campaign lots of people saying you could do things like this but the chancellor previously has been skeptical of it when it was first raised i think a few months ago by labor suggesting it was be an ineffective way of doing it now we know that boris johnson and Rishi have been holding meetings about the cost of living crisis and this is one of the ideas being floated that they're zoning in on i think that the problem with the cost of living crisis is ultimately there's going to be no simple fix and there are plenty of theories going around as to what to do it. If they do go for this, then I would say just on a political level, it just looks as though um, you know, it's an idea that Labour were pushing before you did it. I
2: think I think one of the odd things about this is that Boris Johnson hasn't leaped on this already because it would be a twofa for him, which is he could say he's helping with the cost of living and he could say this is something that he can only do... Because of Brexit, because uh, when you're in the EU, you can't zero-rate a product once you've imposed VAT on um, sales tax on it in the first place. I think the reason he's not doing it is it is bad policy in in that the biggest cash beneficiaries of this are people with the biggest heating bills, e.g., people with the generally with the largest houses. And I think the second thing which worries some Johnson loyalists is, you know, given how much bills are going to go up by will people really notice 5% off? So you say, oh, we're taking 5% off, and people, people get their bills and think, God, the government's not doing much to help me. I mean, how is that meant to make a difference? When my bill has risen by 50% or 80%, what help is 5% off? And so I think I mean, that, that is the reason why they haven't done it. And I think not having done it so far, I think it becomes quite hard for the government to now turn around and say, you know that idea, as Casey said, that Labour and our backbenchers have been banging on about, that we dismissed repeatedly. Oh, we're going to do that now.
0: Thank you, Katie. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.